All right, thank you for having me back again tonight, not uh, forbidding me to come back. So, uh, please turn your Bibles to First Corinthians. I'm sorry, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, every year at the uh, high school, we try to do a theme for the year for the kids. Try to get a central focus. Uh, typically, I, I preach in chapel uh, a couple times a, a semester and try to develop the theme uh, that we've chosen. Uh, Dr. Hubbard, our principal, actually chooses the theme, and then I, I follow along with different messages and so forth. And this year, uh, the theme that he chose was the judgment seat, and that is the, the accountability that each of, of the Christians will have as they stand before Christ. And there's, there's a lot of different thoughts on the judgment seat of Christ that are out there. There's really, uh, unfortunately, two, two options that are kind of extremes when it comes to uh, our, our time as Christians uh, to give an account before Christ. The one, the one extreme would be a place of intense sorrow, of shame, really a place of complete terror. The believer's sins are revealed publicly in front of others. Uh, and then the, the sinner or the, the believer would then be punished for sins not confessed and, and different things like that. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the line of, of tracks, but there was a, a line of tracks by a man named Jack Chick. Uh, he, he ran those tracks for quite a few years. He might still be doing that. I don't know. And one of the tracks that he actually had was uh, that, that idea that you know all Christians, when they, they see Christ, uh, kind of the, the glorified screen in heaven, and there's a lineup of people, and uh, you know, the, this is your life is kind of playing in front of everybody. Uh, it, it, it preaches really well at a camp if you want to scare a bunch of kids into a submission at home and, and different things like that, and, you know, different lies or different sins that they've done. Uh, but it's really not a really not a biblical pattern of of what the Bible teaches concerning the judgment seat. The other extreme would be it's a, ple- a place when we stand before Christ of absolutely no remorse, of no shame, but only of rejoicing. And that is as soon as we're out of this life, that there would be no uh, sense of shame of uh, perhaps sins or, or things uh, that we've done in this, in this life. So really the question is, how do, you, how do you balance the two? How do you not go to one extreme or the other when it comes to our time before Christ? So what we'll do this evening is just walk through what the Bible teaches concerning this judgment seat of Christ, the accountability of the believer uh, before, before the Lord, and try to answer some basic questions and then, and then make some applications to each of us as we wind down. So first, really the first question to be asked is, who, who exactly is going to be standing at this judgment? Who is involved in the judgment? My understanding is it's only believers that there are two basic judgments that the Bible teaches. The one is the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema seat of Christ, uh, a judgment seat. Uh, and then the second one that's taught in Revelation chapter 20 would be the, 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 really the great white throne judgment in which all unbelievers at the end of times would stand before God and give an account concerning their deeds and then really their punishment being weighed out by those deeds. So this, this judgment, only for believers, uh, notice what uh, Paul teaches, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 
Now again, he's speaking to the church. The, the implication would be that he's speaking to believers. He says, for we, including himself, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 actually teaches as well that believers will be standing before Christ at, at, at one point and give an account for their deeds done in this life. So who is involved in the judgment? It's believers who are involved. The second question when does this judgment occur? So when, when will we stand before Christ? Uh, take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to do a lot of flipping back and forth, unfortunately. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 13. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13. It seems to be, as the, the Bible teaches, that, that the ju- judgment seat of Christ is in connection with the Lord's return uh, as he returns to gather his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So that the phrase, for the day, well, what day is that? Really, Paul is, Paul is talking about the day of the Lord here. And the day of the Lord would be different events. Uh, the different events would be including things like the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the second coming, and so forth. But the one in particular that he has in mind here would be the, the rapture. And that is the gathering up of, of God's people. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive will be gathered with Christ in the air. So the day indicates the second advent of Christ or immediately really after, after the rapture of the church. Now, what precisely is judged? Okay, and usually when we speak of judgment, it has a very negative connotation, obviously. We have to be careful about making it completely negative because if we did that, then it would tend to lean us towards the, the one extreme, a place of complete uh, terror and shame and so forth, a very negative sense. But really, the picture of Scripture is that it's, uh, it's an evaluation more than a, a judgment. And again, the, the term is the same. The judgment idea has a negative connotation, but evaluation is really the, the idea that, that Christ will evaluate what we have done here on this earth. And notice what it says in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 3.13. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each, each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, so as he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Now, there's two uh, really wrong interpretations on this verse. Let me tackle the one first, and then we'll, we'll get into the other one. The first one, uh, the idea of you know, uh, this is your life, you know, the, the, the glory screen in heaven, you know, where your life is flashed up on the screen and the lineup of people. The Bible doesn't indicate that anybody else other than Christ will see our works or evaluate our works, and that's really what it's referring to here. It will be revealed, for the day will reveal it. It'll show it. Why? Because we stand before Christ and Christ alone. So the extreme of the fearfulness of other people knowing my thoughts uh, a very a very 
scary proposition uh, that anybody would know our thoughts other than the Lord to begin with. The second extreme, actually, and some of you might know some, some Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholic dogma and so forth, really the idea of purgatory is taken from this passage. There are other passages really in the Apocrypha that defend the, the time of purgatory. But really this passage would be a proof text for them to prove that, and that is that purgatory being a time of, of torment, a time of fire, really purging uh, the, the sins here on this earth so we can actually stand uh, in heaven with, with Christ. Really that's a wrong interpretation as well because the implication is we're already with Christ. The evaluation is in connection with our meeting with Christ. And the, the wrong interpretation would be that, that idea of fire being a purgatory type of a fire. And that would be a wrong, a wrong take on this issue. But that's really where it's generated. And that is that, that the works, the, the, the really bad works on this earth, have to be dealt with. My understanding, and we'll get into it a, a little bit, my understanding is that any of the bad works, any of the sins, obviously have been paid for by Christ. And that's really the, the theological difference between a Catholic and, and, and what we would believe. And that is that they have to pay for some of those sins. We believe in the, the efficacy or the effectiveness of Jesus' death for all sins. So if I had to pay for one, the implication would be I would have to pay for eternity. Uh, and that would be the, the, the primary problem with the idea of purgatory and so forth. So our, our works really are judged. The things done in this body, the evaluation will be based upon those things that we have done from the time that we have been saved. So the idea then goes on. And, and begs the question, what is a good work? And that is, what, what would be evaluated as a good thing and what would be evaluated as a thing to be burned up uh, in that sense? Well, the, the idea of good works is difficult uh, because even on our best day, as we discussed this morning, even on our best day, everything that I do is actually mingled with sin. So when, when I uh, put my offering into the offering plate, uh, and maybe maybe I'm the unspiritual one and maybe I shouldn't even say this, but there are times in which, I don't know about you, but I put that money in and the thought does hit, oh, the things that I could do with that money. Um, so I, I love the Lord and I want to serve him and I want to put that money in in order to honor him, uh, but there's that sense in which it still is uh, a difficulty at times, not all the time, uh, but at times it is a difficulty. Well, in that sense, a good work really is something, as we look at the scriptures and try to understand that, that God, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, really these good works have been predestined. They're, they're foreordained that we would walk in them. Well, what exactly are they? Really, the, the basic idea that has helped me to understand what a good work is, is something done in obedience to God's word, motivated by faith and love toward God. Uh, so it has to do a bit with my motivation. Uh, and that, that's at times a difficulty for any of us is, am I motivated by love in doing this or am I motivated by what people will think? And that's always a difficulty for sure. Uh, but to the best of our understanding, as we love Christ, we do things, and at, at times, even in the Christian life, we do things just because they're right. Not always because we actually feel this overwhelming sense to do them, but we do them because they're right. Uh, the, the picture would be, uh, for those of us who are married, 
Uh, there are times I don't want to do the dishes. I don't really have any huge motivation to do the dishes. I really don't even like doing the dishes. But I love my wife. Therefore, I'm not being unauthentic you know, by saying that I love you to her uh, even, even while doing the dishes, even though I don't want to do that. Why? Because at times our love is evaluated and should be evaluated much more on what is actually done than how we feel doing it. And that really should be the, the motivator. So a good work is something that is motivating us to do what is right for Christ and obedience to him out of our faith in him and out of our love for him. Now, what is the purpose? What is the, the ultimate purpose of the judgment in that sense? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again, and look at verse uh, 14. It says, If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. So really the, the idea would be the, the standing before Christ is an evaluation in order to receive ultimately rewards. That's really what it, what it is about. The, the amount of times that Jesus taught on the parable, or in parable form, on things like the talents. Okay, to one he gave you know, five talents, to one he gave two, to one he gave one. Well, God gives each of us different levels of talents, different levels of abilities to be able to serve him. Uh, the, the men that I serve under, uh, the, you know, the abilities that God has given to some of them, I could never attain to. Why? Because they've been given five and I've been given two and others have been given one. Well, we don't get to sign up for exactly which one of those we want. We, we have abilities given to us by the Lord. And within that framework, we serve the best that we possibly can. Within our, our framework, you know, uh, I, I, I work with uh, uh, different individuals and I appreciate the strengths and weaknesses. I, I uh, you know, forgive me, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Caramon, for bringing this up. I was never, re- I, I enjoyed math. Uh, my dad knows many, many long evenings going through algebra and different things like that. Uh, but I couldn't teach math. So the Karaman son teaches math faithfully at, uh, at Inner City and has for, for many years. Uh, I, there's no way I would want to do that. I don't understand it well enough. I don't have the abilities to actually communicate, and I fear that I would just be pr- probably very frustrated with kids that aren't getting it. Uh, my, my dad was very patient with me, and I appreciate it. I don't know that I could, I could actually have the same uh, patience level with, with that. So if I were to be evaluated on my math skills, or on my math teaching, it would be faulty because I really don't have any. So God has is, God is gifted different people with different things. And in that sense, within our, within our structure, within the, the life that we have, are we faithful? And will we receive a reward from those things? And each of us, each of us knows this. There are people uh, that make a lot of money. There are people that make middle amounts of money, and there are people that don't make much money. Um, and that's just that's just the reality of life. But inside of that, in, in what God has prospered each individual with, are they willing to serve? So really the rewards are for the service within the structure that God has placed each individual person in that sense. And the rewards are then given for that stewardship based upon that. So primary questions, 
as we go through many answered just in in uh, in first corinthians now here are some some questions that oftentimes i get asked by by the kids and and others as i teach how does sinfulness actually connect to this and that is would there be at any point uh, me having to be concerned about present sin when I stand before Christ. And unfortunately, I'm going to give you a typical political answer. The answer is yes and no. There's, there's the sense in which, uh, as we all struggle with the Christian walk and what we were talking about this morning, the, the battle that rages within us, do I have to be concerned about unconfessed sin? Uh, in in the life and and as was brought up, you know that Christians are punished for unconfessed sin. Well, here's the dilemma: all of us sin hundreds of times in a day, and most of us don't have a clue, other than maybe one or two, three or four of those. So how do you how do you deal with that? Well, as I have taught the kids through the years, we have to have a sin confessing spirit about us. And that is when, when the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin and brings it to light, we need to be willing to confess that. We need to say what God says about it, repent of that sin, and, and, and move on from that. Um, David really gives us a good picture in Psalm 19 because he requests of the Lord, uh, uh, forgive me or pardon me from secret sins. And it's interesting that David would say that because as we look at our lives, there are things that each of us have done that are secret. We don't know that we've sinned. We think our motives are right and so forth, but they're not. So oftentimes what I've I've taught the kids is is just have that that sin-confessing spirit and at times in devotional life and in times with the Lord, confess unknown sins. Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. I know that I've sinned against you. Uh, will you forgive me? And will you will you restore the right type of relationship uh, with me in that sense? Now, unconfessed sin really does affect us uh, in the sense of presently. And I would say in our, in our present fellowship with the Lord, for sure. Um, I, I've given this illustration before. I'll use, I'll use my son Andrew. I brought Andrew with me. I tell Andrew, uh, go clean your room. And he says, no. Not going to. Okay. Uh, Andrew, will you do the dishes for us? Will you put the dishes into the dishwasher? No. No, I don't think so. Um, All right. Well, Andrew, go do your homework. No. Five minutes later, Andrew walks into the room. Now, Andrew's a big big sports kid. Walks into the room. Now, Dad, you said that you were going to buy me some tennis shoes at Dunham's. Uh, Can we go now? Is Is there any way to go now and do that? I would probably first laugh. If you know my personality, I'd probably get a very good laugh out of it. Uh, you know, and obviously him asking would assume that he was still alive after the three requests and, and denials. But what would motivate me to grant his request? Our fellowship is broken until he deals with the, the issue at hand. So the the issue of of my relationship with the Lord, unconfessed sin certainly does tarnish our relationship with God presently. Is it going to do that eternally? Uh, I didn't say that I disowned my son. He's still my son, a disobedient one, 
but he's still my son. So the, the idea is our relationship, the fellowship that I would have with the Lord certainly would be affected by unconfessed sin. I would say our, our fruitfulness. Our fruitfulness would certainly be affected by, by sinfulness. When we look at Galatians 5, and we see the two lists that Paul gives to us, the list of the, the flesh and the list of the spirit, things that are of the spirit and things that are of the flesh obviously are in opposition to one another. So if I am cultivating really uh, a spirit of disobedience, it's going to harm my love and my gentleness and my self-control in that sense. So the fruitfulness certainly will, will be there. And, and certainly as we, as we see as well, uh, from a Hebrews chapter 12 and other passages, that there will be chastening for my disobedience. That the Lord, the Lord will not allow his children to wallow in disobedience. But really, those things have to do really with just this life. If I were to pay, and that's something that we need to constantly keep in mind, if I were to go to heaven and Jesus really keep me accountable for even one sin, I would falter. There's no way that I could pay for it. Uh, why? Because he himself understands he paid for it all. So we're not, we're not really focused on my concern about my sinfulness when I see Christ as much as I am you know, the, the relationship that I have with him right now. A second question underneath that would be, will there be degrees of reward in heaven and in the kingdom? I, I get asked often, if there's any one question I get asked in my Bible classes, it's what are we going to be doing in heaven? You know, what does the Bible say about our conduct? What will we be doing? And so forth. While I don't know that I can answer all of those questions because the Bible is relatively uh, somewhat silent on the actual activities, I do know that I'll be enjoying Christ. I do know that, that the presence of God will be sufficient. David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What those pleasures are exactly, I'm, I'm not totally certain. I know that everything that I would you know, uh, partake of in this life always falls short to complete satisfaction, and there's a reason for that. It's to drive us towards the ultimate satisfaction in Christ in heaven. But the, the issue of judgment uh, and the degrees of judgment uh, seem to be uh, issues for the deeds done in this life and for the condemnation. Uh, really, the, the idea in Revelation 20, verses 12 through 13, we won't turn there because we're going to turn to another passage here in a moment, but is that the unbeliever's deeds will be evaluated. And the implication from that, what is implied from uh, their deeds, evaluation of their deeds, is that there will be further judgment, more severe judgment, for those who perhaps knew uh, the truth and refused to follow it. That's really what is implied in that. Well, in the same way for a Christian, the, the idea of the deeds for the believer, the amount of things done for Christ and the amount of things that perhaps that were not done for Christ that should have been, will be evaluated. There will be a, a reward and, again, a lack of reward based upon those things. Turn over uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll look at one of the things that Christ said concerning this. I'm only going to highlight a few different uh, ideas. Luke chapter 19. Start reading in verse 11.
Luke says, And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, Therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we, don't, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, You are to be over five cities. Now the one squandered it. Uh, the one obviously hid it and so forth. And we're familiar with the story. But it is interesting, the, the investment of the monies, what was the reward? The reward was cities, a responsibility, a, an authority over those cities is the implication. Because it says that they will be in authority over ten cities and then over five cities. So the evaluation and the, the, the reward given in that sense, especially for the believer, uh, really has in proportion to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being the really the millennial reign of Christ, as uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20 says, that we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So much of the reward uh, really has to do with the millennial kingdom. That is, we, we would be raptured to be with Christ seven years. The tribulation would be happening. After that, we would come in and really judge the earth with Christ at the end, the battle of Armageddon and so forth, and then the kingdom of God, the, the right rule of Jesus Christ would be on this earth, and we really would be with him in that sense. I, I tease my kids oftentimes. You can get away with this with the younger kids, but I say, uh, you know, the, the service that I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm kind of vying for the, the land of Australia. That's what I would really like to be over during that. I'd love to get there now. Uh, but perhaps the Lord, uh, if I've been faithful enough in teaching junior hires all of these years, uh, maybe uh, maybe the Lord would reward and be able to see the outback and, and different things like that. So I'm a big uh, Man from Snowy River fan. I don't know if you remember that that movie years and years ago, Disney flick. So saw some of that and I was like, boy, I'd love to go there. But the, the reward seems to be in connection with the kingdom of God. And that is, as I've been faithful with what God has given to me here in this earth, uh, that there would be reward and, and really authority inside of the, of the kingdom. Now, will, will hidden sins, will hidden sins be revealed? Okay, because if I disconnect, and this is where we, we have to be careful, if I disconnect my life from any sinfulness and any consequence of that sinfulness, we might step outside of the bounds as well. Uh, but we have to be careful, and I've already said if we had to pay for any of those sins, we would be in trouble because we couldn't pay for them. But will there be a loss of reward based upon, at times, sinfulness? And I would say absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's a difficulty. Uh, but uh, turn back then to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 5. 
Paul says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each, each one or each man uh, will, uh, each man's praise will come to him from God. So there, there's, there's things that will be revealed. Well, what, what types of things will be revealed in that sense? Uh, I would say all things. Um, while we will, not, we will not be judged for sin, Paul is clear about that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I think that the level of shamefulness certainly will be there. Uh, not a level of shamefulness that is stifling, not a level of shamefulness uh, that is going to be deadening or even condemnatory, but certainly a level of, of my shame before my Lord because of things that I, I, I could have done, I should have done, but at times in just my stubbornness did not do. Uh, I know, uh, if, if you're anything like me, I struggle with witnessing. And that is, uh, at times, um, all of us know neighbors, and, uh, and uh, at times, when given opportunity, I have failed to share my faith with others. Well, that's sin. That's sin. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed of that now, and I certainly will be ashamed of that then. Now, I'm not saying that if, if somebody would be condemned uh, that, you know, it's all my fault and people have preached that through the years and so forth, that, you know, their blood is on your hands and so forth. And I'll let your pastor wrestle through the, the debate on, on that and so forth. I certainly won't bring that up tonight. But I do understand this, that, uh, that I, I should have been faithful in, in giving my faith. There have been times, of course, where I have been selfish inside of my even my service to the Lord and so forth. And I think that those will those will bring shamefulness in that sense that we have to we have to be aware of. And the 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 Apostle Paul does indicate and and warn us in a sense uh concerning the terror of the Lord. Uh Second Corinthians chapter five indicates knowing the terror of the Lord we persuade men. And on the heels of his his talking about the the judgment seat uh, there is a there is a terror aspect but only in the sense that it is a terrifying thing to stand before God and give an account when men have done that in the past okay when men have come face to face with deity uh, they certainly did not uh, just talk in the vernacular just talk buddy buddy to God they fell on their face they were scared to death in any sight. When, when uh, Isaiah witnessed, in some sense, the, the glory of the Lord, he fell on his face as if he was undone. I am a man of unclean lips. He certainly did not, oh, great, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, so the issue of standing before Christ and giving an account is going to be a, a very, very humbling experience, something that in which, as I think back on my life and the things done in this body, certainly will be brought to light. So what types of sins certainly will, will cause me shame or lose reward? I've mentioned a few. Our, our stewardship, of course. God has given to us a certain structure to live in and to minister in. Am I being faithful with that? Besetting sins, for sure, because oftentimes what is my besetting sin? I'm making a choice to do this sin over God. I'm, I'm making a choice 
to, to really at times even cherish that sin more than my relationship with the Lord. And then at times uns- unreconciled relationships as well. And that is the, the picture of love, uh, of really biblical love, of knowing Christ and so forth, is that we love one another. And at times, uh, in a church setting and uh, other, other settings, that's a great difficulty. And that is, there, there, are, there are times in which relationships get strained, uh, there's difficulties and so forth, and I do believe that there will be shame along those lines, primarily because, as I said, one of the primary evaluations of knowing that we are God's children is are we loving one another? And that's really the, the command that Christ gave to his disciples even before, before he died. So how do, we, how do we wrap this up? Really, the, the best way, and, and Dr. Compton, uh, through the years and, and teaching through some of these issues, uh, pictured it the, the best way, uh, graduation exercises. Now, I've been a part of several, and believe me, every single one of them was very sweet. Uh, I've enjoyed each one of them. Uh, there was one in particular, and I remember uh, very distinctly, I was finishing up with my Master of Divinity, and I really, I, I had set a goal for myself to, to try to graduate with honors. And honors is a 3.5. And I evaluated at the beginning of my senior year, what would it take for me to get that 3.5? And I came up with a number, and that is I had to get A's in every single one of my classes pretty much my senior year. Well, I didn't do that. So there were, there were times where, you know, at 11 o'clock at night and reading another 100 pages, was just not on the docket, uh, you know, falling asleep and, and different things like that. So I fell short of that. Well, I was, I was elated to graduate, to be done. It was, it was a difficult degree. Uh, I was elated to be done. Certainly there were regrets I look back on. Should have, should have, could have, would have type of a, you know, mentality. If I had gone back and uh, one, one event in particular, I don't think I'll ever forget, um, there was a, a test for Dr. McCune, and having taken that, I, I'm kind of thinking there might be a little bit of a purgatory type of a deal because some of those, some of those were brutal. Um, but I, I took this test from Dr. McCune, and uh, his were essay tests, and basically there were ten questions possible. He would ask you two to three of them, and you had to write those down. I did one, one question completely wrong one. I wrote the complete opposite of what he, he expected type of a deal. I got an 89 on that test, 89%, missed 10 points on the one and then missed another point on the other. I missed an A in his class by one point, and it was because of that mistake that I had done. And I, I got, you know, I, I tried to get A's in his class in my theology classes. It was a, a basic goal. I did not reach that goal. And the night before in studying, you know, hindsight being 2020, of course I would have changed that and, and changed the, uh, you know, the grade and so forth. But nonetheless, you know, graduation exercises gives us a, a decent picture of that time. There will be joy. There will be elation. But certainly there will be things that we look back on that we should have and, and could have done and did not do. But because of God's grace, we can, we can evaluate this as Christians, we know that our that our our soul is set. 
that when I stand before my Lord and give an account for the things that he's done for me and through me, it will be a time of joy. It will be a time that I can stand before Christ and not because of anything that I have done, but because of what he has done. I can praise him for eternity and and ultimately even enjoy him uh, for eternity in that sense. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the time and evaluation that we will have before you. We do pray, Lord, that you would help us to evaluate even now different things that perhaps uh, we we need to do better uh, on in our stewardship, uh, maybe unreconciled relationships, perhaps, Father, uh, different issues of besetting sins that we really need to address and deal with directly. But, Lord, we are thankful that we can stand before you, not on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, And we're thankful for that, and we pray, Lord, that uh, thinking through the events of of the end times and our standing before you will even motivate us to live for you now as we ought to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.